Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to King Street, featured on A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, hosted by our resident real estate expert, Christopher King. King Street is a show dedicated to informing and educating you on prospering in the new economic downturn or digging yourself out of your own personal crisis. Either way, you've got questions? Well, King Street with Christopher King has got answers. Welcome back, Christopher. What have you got for us today? Actually, today's show is going to feature a exclusive interview with one of the Maryland's most successful mortgage lenders in the area, number one CDA-approved lender, and I'm very excited about having him on the show. And before we get into that, just want to say that King Street is going to provide the most definitive source of news and information as it relates to real estate in the D.C. metropolitan area. So if you have any questions, concerns as it relates to how to buy a home, how to keep your home, how to refinance your home, or just general questions as it relates to real estate, King Street is your solution provider. And so with that being said, I'd like to get the show started. I'd like to welcome all the listeners today. Uh, we're going to have a very exciting show. I'd like to bring out our first, or our host, I'm sorry, our guest today, Mr. Ryan Paquin from First Home Mortgage. How are you doing, Ryan? Good, thanks. I'm doing great. How about yourself today? I'm doing good, thanks. Great, great. How about you kind of give us a quick bio uh, for our listeners of who you are, sure. how long you've been in business, and things of that nature. Uh, I've been in the uh, Maryland area as a branch manager and mortgage consultant for nine years, since June of 2002. And um, I made it a point to make first-time home buyers my priority, and that is my niche. That's why I do so many of the CDA State of Maryland, uh, Maryland Mortgage Program loans, and in Prince George's County, the Neighborhood Stabilization and My Home Program. Um, I have an office in Bowie, and First Home Mortgage is uh, all up and down the East Coast with over 30 offices now. Okay. Now, to work with first home buyers, would you say you have to have a lot of patience, or what would you say would be some of the necessary skills that make you so successful working with first-time home buyers? Absolutely. You know, it's not just a matter of patience. It's actually becoming a teacher and an educator. Um, it's not just telling somebody what they qualify for and um, how much money they're going to need and what their payment's going to be. It's actually educating educating somebody on the entire process of buying a home and staying in a home and how to budget their money, how to save money, and how to use their 
home as an asset instead of liability. Hmm. Very important. Now, let's um, start by just giving our listeners, what are today's current mortgage rates? Could you share those with us? Uh, currently, CDA, the state of Maryland, is offering 4.75 with no points. 4.75 with no points. Now, when you say mm -hmm. no points, what do you mean by that, just for our listeners who might not understand that kind sure. of thing? Yeah, a point is 1% of your loan amount. And every point you pay, you should be able to buy down your interest rate anywhere from an eighth of a point to a quarter of a point. So if you pay a point on a CDA loan, you would have an interest rate of 4.625. Okay. Now, and that's 1% of your loan. That's 1% of your loan. So let's, let's use an example. Let's say that... Uh, um, uh, I don't know if you have a calculator. I don't want to make it too complicated, but let's just say a hundred thousand dollar loan. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple with that, and let's kind of walk through that scenario. Yeah. So if you have a hundred thousand dollar loan at four point seven five, you're not paying any points on a CDA loan. If you pay one point, you'd buy your interest rate down to four point six two five, and that would cost you one thousand dollars, which is one percent of a hundred thousand. Okay. Okay, and that determination whether they should buy down their interest rate or just stay at the uh, current, uh, how is that typically made? Well, typically uh, on a CDA loan, I'm not advising my clients to buy down their interest rate unless the seller is going to pay for that point. If you're not going to have enough money uh, you know, from, from the seller or from any of the grant programs that are available, then I wouldn't advise using your own money to buy down that interest rate because it would take you an extremely long time to break even on that money. So if you spent a thousand, it might only save you six or seven dollars a month, and that would, you know, that would take quite a long time to break even on that thousand dollars up front. Okay, okay, that's a good point. Now, do you typically show your clients uh, amortization schedule that breakdown when they come into a Yeah, I'll show them exactly. Like, okay, it's going to take you you know, 96 months to recoup that $1,000. And then from that point forward, you would have uh, started saving money monthly. You know, and most people would like to keep that money in the bank, earn interest on that, and have a reserve then to go ahead and put, it, you know, put your own cash into the deal to buy down that interest rate. Hmm. Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, the CBA uh, mortgage rates. Are there any other mortgage rates that are uh, sure. We should yeah, the, about. the regular FHA interest rates right now are right around four and a half percent to um, four and three quarters percent, and that's the interest rate. The APRs are going to range somewhere between five and and an eighth and and five and a half percent, depending if you're paying points or not. Okay. And with that being said, uh, what would what would you say in relation to current interest rates compared to where they were, say maybe last year at this time? Sure. Well, they've actually crept down. They, you know, uh, in November, when the federal government decided to have quantitative easing, too, um, the interest rates really started climbing quite a bit back in November. Um, and they, you know, and that's relatively speaking to where they were. I mean, historically, rates are still very, very low. Uh, even when they went to 5%, that is still very, very low. Um, you know, we might have gotten as high as five and a quarter. And now they've gotten back down to four and three quarters, four and a half. So compared to where we were at the low, we might have been down as low as four and a quarter on a 30-year fixed. Uh, but we are, you know, about four and a half to four and three quarters now. So they're a little bit higher off the low, but still historically very, very low. Okay, excellent. Now, let's take it from a context that I know that one of the things you specialize in is first-time home buyers. And you said that... Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, I'm sure there's a lot of first-time home buyer programs. Would you mind quickly talking about what programs are available? Yeah. For so in the state of Maryland, for somebody that has not owned a home in the past three years, you know, depending on your income, uh, you might be eligible for the state of Maryland's uh, Maryland Mortgage Program, which is the CDA loan. And that would entitle each borrower to $5,000, $5,000 in down payment assistance, which is actually a loan you're going to get from the CDA that is a 0% interest rate on that loan for the life of your loan. As long as you don't sell your house, refinance your house, you don't have to pay that back until the end of 30 years. So it's 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 a nice way to get down payment assistance from the state of Maryland. Okay. And then in, if you want to buy in the county, um, in Prince George's County, you um, might be eligible for the My Home Program, which is 
a 5% loan or 5% of the purchase price. So for example, if you have a $200,000 purchase, 5% of that is $10,000. The county will give you $10,000 in assistance um, towards your down payment and closing costs. Wow. Now there are certain income limitations. Um, You know, they, they have a pretty low income limit. Um, for um, you know, it's it's for moderate to low income families, and the um, the requirement is you do have to have some money into the loan. They want you to put 1.75 percent of the purchase price into the loan. Okay. At minimum. Okay. Well. At a minimum. Okay. So now nowadays they want buyers to have something invested into the into the home at this point. Absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, down payment closing costs. Let's kind of define that a little bit more clearly for our listeners. Sure. FHA, yeah, FHA requires you to put 3.5% down, okay? And um, so on a $100,000 purchase, 3.5% would be $3,500. If you're utilizing the CDA program, that can be taken care of with the $5,000 in assistance you're going to get, okay? Now, the closing costs, depending on the county you're purchasing in, are going to range anywhere from 3.5% all the way up to 5%, um, and that's assuming you're not paying any points. Um, so, you know, if, if you're looking at a $200,000 purchase in Prince George's County, it's typically going to cost a total of about 8% to get into that house. And so okay. on $200,000, you, all together with your down payment, your closing costs, and to set up your escrow account so your property taxes and insurance can be paid for you, uh, you're going to need somewhere around $16,000. Now, you're going to get $5,000 from CDA, and you can ask the seller to pay your you know closing costs for you. Let's just say you ask the seller to pay 4% in closing help. 4% of $200,000 is $8,000. So, between the CDA money and the seller giving you money, you might only need you know two or three thousand dollars to move into a house. Wow! So what you're saying, just to make sure I'm clear, if I want to purchase a two hundred thousand dollar house and just based on scenario combining um, CDA money along with seller contribution, I may only need to, a buyer may only need to come out the pocket two two thousand dollars on a two hundred thousand dollar home. That's right, because if it's a requirement to have three and a half percent down, then Three and a half percent on two hundred thousand is seven thousand dollars. So you would need seven thousand dollars for your down payment, but you're going to get five from the state. So you would only need two thousand additional for your down payment. Now let me say this: there are some other costs associated with buying a home that you're always going to have to pay. You do have your appraisal and your home inspection, and the state of Maryland also requires you to pay your homeowner's insurance up front. And that homeowner's insurance is there just in case something happens to the home. You don't have to pay for it. Your insurance will cover that. Okay, so that would be additional to the $2,000. Yes. Okay, okay. Now, so that's pretty much the down payment. Now, is there what about closing costs? Closing costs are based on um, all the all the different companies and entities that get involved in helping you purchase a home need to get paid. So you have title fees. The title company um, prepares the docs for, for your uh, loan. The lender, obviously, there are lender's fees. And then the county and the state of Maryland tax you to buy a house. It's called transfer and recordation taxes. And in Prince George's County, that is going to total 2.4% of the purchase price. Okay. And are there programs available to assist home buyers with covering some of those costs as well? Well, you know, the seller is, in t- is, is allowed to pay up to 6% of the purchase price in down payment, you know, to, in closing costs, 6% of the, of the purchase price in closing costs they can pay. So, you know, they can pay on a $200,000 lo- uh, purchase price up to $12,000 in expenses. And so when I say, you know, you don't want to put your own money in to pay points, well, if someone's going to give you 6% of the purchase price, you're going to have extra money because your closing costs aren't going to be that high. So you might as well use that money to pay points to buy the interest rate down. Okay. Okay. Great. Now, just as a general rule of thumb, what would you say that a let's talk about a typical home buyer? And we want to use we want to stay with the example of two hundred thousand dollars. I think that we might be more realistic with home prices. What would you recommend that a buyer has uh, just to make sure that um, they can qualify for a mortgage? Uh, and that's, that's talk about um, 
actual cash percentage. So would you say, for example, they would need at least, I heard things such as first, you know, using a, net, a scenario like uh, rent, you know, where you want to rent an apartment, you want to have first month's rent, last month's rent, security deposit. And right. we use it. We use that scenario to say, for example, their mortgage is going to be $1,500, that they have at least three times that, which would be 4500 that that might be at least uh, a safe bet, um, borrowing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a conservative approach at, at budgeting money. It's not a requirement. The federal government sets the guidelines for FHA, and they don't require you to have any reserves in the bank when you buy a house, believe it or not. Now, we always advise our clients to have a rainy day fund just in case something happens. Uh, if you can't go to work for a week or, you know, you, you um, maybe the water heater goes out and you need to do things. We don't want a client to have to make the decision to either make their mortgage payment or fix something in the house. So we always say, you know, let's try to save some money up. Let's have a rainy day fund, two to three months of reserves in the bank. So, you know, if you have a $1,500 mortgage payment, we'd say somewhere between 3000 and $4,500 in the bank. And um, that way, you can take care of some re repairs if necessary. Okay. And um, let's talk about quickly, what is the difference? How do you go about calculating a home buyer's uh, how much of a mortgage they can afford to pay? What is what is a rule or process used for calculating so the term? we refer to that as your debt-to-income ratio. And the state of Maryland's requirement is that you cannot exceed 45% of your gross income. That's before any taxes come out. So if you get paid $60,000 a year, that's $5,000 a month. Okay, we don't want you to go above 45% of that. Okay, so what we would um, so that's $2,250 uh, in total monthly debt, and that includes your principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, which is your mortgage payment. That also includes your car payments, student loans. If you have child support, you have to pay anything like that. Okay. Um, okay. You add those all up, and you should not exceed the forty-five percent. Now, your housing ratio alone, we like to see that in the thirty, somewhere between you know maybe twenty-eight and thirty-five percent of your income should just be your mortgage payment. That's good. So, uh, one of the final questions. I know we're, we're going to run short on time here. One of the final questions would be, what is typically the, the uh, credit score requirements that you will look for for a buyer looking to purchase a loan, a purchase a home? Well, FHA, the federal government, they don't set uh, necessarily a credit score minimum. The lower your credit is, they want a bigger down payment. But the state of Maryland has set a limit. Uh, they want you to have a minimum of a 620 credit score to purchase a home. And they don't want you to have any outstanding collections or judgments or liens um, when going to purchase a home. Okay. Now, what are some of the ways or uh, things that your you as a lender look for on a client's credit report? Is it scored only determination, or is there anything else you might look no, at? No, no, because you know sometimes you see clients with decent credit scores, six six forty, six fifty scores, but for some reason the scores really aren't indicative of how they pay their bills. So there might be a lot of late payments. They might be maxing out their credit cards. Number one most important thing is are they paying their um, monthly payments on time, their credit obligations on time, or are they consistently being reported 30 days late? Okay. So if they, if they have some 30 days late, is that a um, deal breaker, so to speak? Not necessarily. What we'll do is we'll look at the overall uh, worthiness of the file. You know, do they have compensating factors to offset the um, – you know, late payments. Do they have savings? Are, are maybe their mortgage payment isn't going to be higher than where their rent is? You know, there's several different factors we can look at as a compensating factor. But ideally, we'd like a letter of explanation regarding um, the 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 reason why. Why was it late? And so we're looking for extenuating circumstances, things that happened that maybe are not likely to happen again. Um, you know, maybe there was a death in the family or you lost your job, and that's why you got behind on some of your credit obligations. Okay. And is there anything you would like to uh, share with our listeners as far as kind of the paperwork that you were looking for for them to have or what would the process be? Yeah, I mean, the requirements have gotten a lot more um, stringent in terms of documentation you know, as everybody knows, there is a major foreclosure crisis, and the problem isn't getting any better. 
um, people are still getting behind on their payments because of the unemployment levels uh, that are out there. So what, what we require now is three years tax returns, okay? And for the state of Maryland, the reason why they require that is to show that you have not owned a home in the, three, in the past three years. We also require pay stubs for a month, bank statements for two months, and we will look in detail at those bank statements to see what kind of spending patterns, make sure there's no insufficient funds, uh, things of that nature. And it will show, obviously, the funds that they have to put into the transaction and for reserves. Um, and then from there, we're going to require uh, for the State of Maryland program a eight-hour home buyer's education course, um, which you'll receive a certificate once you've taken that. Um, so you have the bank statements, you have the pay stubs, you have the education requirement, you have tax returns and W-2s for two years. Um, and then if every individual is going to have different circumstances. So someone might not have a traditional pay stub. So if you're self-employed, we might require a year-to-date profit and loss statement to show what kind of income your business is generating so far this year. Um, so everybody's going to have a different situation. There's going to be different income. I mean, it's going to be different documentation requirements for each borrower that comes into our office. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, is there anything else you'd like to um, share with our listeners uh, before you you have to go off the lines? Uh, that's it. If anybody has any questions, feel free to contact my office. Again, my name is Ryan Paquin. I am the branch manager of First Home Mortgage, and my office line is 301 352 6060, and we'll be more than happy to take your call. And do you have any, a web address or email you would like to provide our clients as well? Yeah, uh, my website is www.gofirsthome.com. That's uh, G O F I R S T H O M E.com forward slash Ryan, R Y A N underscore Paquin, P A Q U I N. Okay, Ryan. Thank you for being on King Street. We appreciate that, and look, uh, we'd love to have you sometime in the future as a guest again. Absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to it. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Now, King Street now is going to focus on, we're going to really begin to explore the credit criteria that lenders look at for selecting buyers or improving buyers. And that process begins with initially a credit report. Now, one of the things that I like to uh, recommend or advise clients on that before you even think about yearly, I would say typically, before you talk about purchasing a home a year out, 12 months before you really begin to put that into action, you should get a copy of your credit report. And your credit report can come from three main bureaus. There are three main credit reporting bureaus, and that's Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And now, according to law by the Federal Trade Commission, you are allowed a free copy of your credit report from each one of the major bureaus each year. So that's one copy of your credit report from each bureau. So that's one copy from Experian, one copy from TransUnion, and one copy from Equifax. And you're entitled to that. And so as we talk about going down the home buying process, what I would recommend would be the first step you would want to do is to obtain a copy of your credit report from each one of those bureaus. And the simplest way is to actually go to their websites. And, for example, there's Experian.com, which is E-X-P-E-R-I-A-N.com, Equifax.com, E-Q-I-A-F-A-X.com, and then TransUnion, T-R-A-N-U-S-U-N-I-O-N.com. Each one of those websites, you can go there and request a free copy of your credit report, or you can simply go to the, the only source, and this uh, only site you can actually get a free copy of your credit report without to pay anything, and that's annualcreditreport.com. Again, that's annualcreditreport.com is the only site in which you can obtain a free uh, copy of your credit report, and that's coming from all three of the bureaus. And the reason that is is all three of the bureaus actually sponsor that website. And so the process starts there. And once you obtain a copy of your credit report, you can begin to look at the items on your credit report and look at what your credit uh, profile looks like. Now, you won't have a copy of your credit score, but you will at least know the information that is on your credit report, and you can look on there to see if that information is, is accurate. Now, by law, all the information that's reported on your credit report has to meet three key criteria. 
And that is, number one, all the information in your credit report has to be 100% accurate. Everything reported in your credit report has to be 100% accurate. Number two, all the information on your credit report has to be 100% verifiable. So, and it's not or, it's and, 100% accurate and 100% verifiable. The next thing, or the third criteria, is that everything in your credit report has to be within the allotted time frame. And the allotted time frame of most financial transactions is seven years. And so it can't be outdated information. So, for example, for 2011, anything in your credit report that is older than 2003, you need to have you need to have those things removed or updated on your credit profile because that's considered to be outdated information. Now, the credit bureaus don't normally automatically delete these items based on their age. So that is an action that the consumers or you would have to take yourself to get those items removed off your credit report. So as you um, request a copy of your credit report by going to annualcreditreport.com and, and looking at your credit profile, you can look at information that is outdated and you can put steps in place to have those items removed. And so that's the first step you want to do as a potential home buyer. And again, I recommend this step to be taken at least 12 months prior to beginning the actual home buying process. So you want to look at what your credit profile is. And this is before you talk to any real estate professionals at all. Just the first step. Now, once you obtain your credit profile and you begin to look through that, there are certain things you want to be mindful of. Number one, you want to be mindful of making sure that your name, your address, and all the pertinent personal information is correct. Uh, credit reports have information such as your name, your date of birth, your social security number, the place uh, where you live, your address, your place of employment, and as well as your job title or and description. You want to make sure that's correct. You also want to make sure that the actual information is correct about your employer. Is the employer's name and address, is that information correct? Because, again, any of that information that is incorrect can result in negative information or inaccurate information being on your credit report resulting in a lower credit score. Once you've obtained or once you've determined that that information is correct, the next section you want to determine is whether or not the uh, what's considered to be trade lines. Now, a trade line is any information in your credit report that any creditor has put there. So, for example, if you have a Macy's credit card, you have a Visa credit card, you have an auto loan from Ford Motor Credit Company, you have Exxon credit card, you have student loans, each one of those would be considered to be a separate trade line. And you want to have, you want to go through your credit report and look at those to make sure those accounts are correct and that certain things about those those accounts are correct as well, such as the balance. Is the balance correct? Is the date that you open those, those accounts correct? Is the reporting history correct? As far as saying that whether you were ever late 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days, is that information reporting correctly? You also want to look at um, the payment amount. Is the minimum monthly payment that you're making correct? So all that is important information that you want to look at and determine, is this information, again, accurate? Uh, number two, can it be verified? And number three, is it within the allowed time frame? Now, as I said before, credit reports, and you're entitled by law to a free credit report um, per year, but the next item or credit score that Ryan and I talked about, that is not free. That is an actual product that you have to pay for. Now, there are several different types of credit scores, but the credit score that the lenders look at is called the FICO credit score, F-I-C-O, FICO. And FICO is the credit score that most, uh, all lenders currently look at as it relates to purchasing a home. And that score is varies from the lowest being 350, that's the lowest possible FICO score you can have, to the, pos the highest being 850. And that's the highest credit score you can have. Now, as we talked about um, purchasing a home, FHA does not require a credit score, but there are most lenders, because FHA does not lend money, FHA approves the money, so most lenders are the ones who will lend you the money based on FHA um, backing that money. And those lenders look for a credit score of a minimum of 620, most of them. There are a few lenders out there that will work with buyers with 580 credit scores, but they require a larger down payment. And down payment, again, as Ryan talked about, typically FHA is 3.5%. 
but uh, the lenders that require or will allow you to purchase a home with a 580 credit score will want you to have a 10% down payment. So now your down payment is going to be substantially higher because of the lower credit score. Also, you want to be mindful of with the credit score, that is a product you have to pay for. So most credit bureaus, or actually three of the credit bureaus, you go to their website and you request a credit score, they will charge you an additional uh, $7.95 um, per credit score. Or some may even charge you, depending on the bureau you contact, it may be $10 and you can get all three bureau scores. Now, what needs to be my, what you need to be mindful of is that the there are several different types of credit scores. And for example, the credit score that you you will pay for from those sites will be considered a consumer credit score. And a consumer credit score will be different than what Ryan as a mortgage lender or any other lender that pulls your credit, that would be considered to be a mortgage credit score. Now, mortgage credit score is what lenders look at and that is going to, again going to be different than your consumer credit score. And also, if you depend and you decide you want to purchase an auto, that's an auto credit score. Um, if you want to look at an information such as, I'm sorry, insurance, there's an insurance industry credit score. So basically, credit scores are credit score are industry driven, and they can be different based on the industry that you're going to be applying for, such as auto, such as mortgage. Again, talked about consumer, and there are several different other industry-related credit score information. Now, let's talk about how the credit score is actually calculated and what constitutes or the things that comprise a credit score. Because a credit score was pretty much created um, by FICO in the 1950s, but it really wasn't utilized by lenders and creditors until roughly about 1990. And they began to look for it because they wanted to be able to pull a credit report and they didn't want to have to go through an entire credit report, which can be sometimes 3 to 12 to 15 to actually 30 pages, depending on the client, to determine whether or not this person is eligible. So they wanted to have a simpler way to determine what's called risk. What is the risk factor of extending this client credit? And so FICO, which was uh, used to be the short acronym of a company called Fair Isaac Corporation, and they changed their name officially to FICO in about 2004. And FICO came up with a proprietary mathematical algorithm that it was used to determine the client's risk factor. And basically, they used a, a sliding weight scale to say that if a credit score or what is the risk or likelihood that this client would default on a loan in 90 days? What is the likelihood that this client will be 90 days late on a payment? And they come up with a mathematical algorithm to determine that likelihood, that risk. And that risk puts out a credit score when that mathematical algorithm is, is finished uh, computing. Now, FICO doesn't share the true way or true uh, formulas used to calculate their credit score. But they have shared some information with the consumer public. There are five key factors that comprise a credit score. And they are, number one, 35% of a client's credit score or your credit score is comprised of your payment history, how well you pay your bills on time. So right off the bat, 35% is based upon how well you pay your bills on time. Number two, 30% 30% of your client's credit score or your credit score is comprised of how well, um, how much debt you have, your outstanding debt. So right off the bat, you have 65% of your credit score is based upon how well you pay your bills on time and how much debt you have outstanding. And debt is typically going to be credit card debt, uh, whether you have installment debt such as furniture loans, etc. Next, 15% of your client's credit score is based upon payment history. I'm sorry, length of accounts, how long you've had accounts open. So the longer accounts that you've had open, the better the likelihood uh, of your credit score being impacted. So in other words, any account that's two months old, three months old, is not going to have a positive impact on your credit score. You want to have at least 12 months payment history with your accounts to have a good impact on your credit score. But a minimum of six months is required to even be factored into the credit score calculation. 
So again, recommendation, have established accounts of 12 months of on-time payment history. From a payment history standpoint and a length standpoint, it should be 12 months, but six months minimum just to be considered into the FICO credit scoring model. Now, the fourth item that a FICO credit score model looks at is types of credit. And the types of credit or types of accounts, there are four types of accounts. The first type of account is considered revolving, and that constitutes all credit cards fall into revolving accounts. Next, there's real estate. And real estate, obviously, is mortgage or land. The third type of account is installment. An installment consists of furniture loans, student loans, auto loans, or a better definition of an installment debt is considered any debt that has a specified period of time with a specific period of a specific amount being paid each month. For example, five years at sixty dollars, uh, five hundred dollars a month, or sixty months at five hundred dollars a month, like auto loan. That's considered installment. The uh, term is specified and specific, and the payment amounts is term is specified and specific. They don't vary. And lastly, but not least, is other. Other would be collections or liens on your credit report. So those are the four types. Again, real estate, revolving, installment, and other are the four types of accounts or types of credit that the FICO model considers. And then last but not least, the fifth uh, factor of a credit score would be type, I'm sorry, new credit, or they consider those to be inquiries. And inquiries are when you go out and you allow or authorize someone to run your credit report. You sign an authorization, let them run your credit report. And that can be a variety of different uh, ways. For example, if you go out and you apply for a home loan, that's an inquiry. If you go out and apply for an auto loan, that's an inquiry. Anytime someone runs your credit and lets you know they're going to run your credit, they typically have to give you an application to sign, or if you're doing it online, you have to give them permission verbally. That's going to be an inquiry. And the inquiry can have an effect on your credit score. Now, on the topic of inquiries, there are two types of inquiries to be mindful of. The first type of inquiry is considered to be a hard inquiry. A hard inquiry is an inquiry that is used to determine whether or not the company or the person who's running their credit, who running your credit, will extend you credit as a result of the information they receive. So if a person is going to offer you credit, as a result of obtaining your credit report, then that's considered to be a hard inquiry. And that hard inquiry can have a negative impact on your credit score. And that can range anywhere from five points off your credit score up to 75 points in reduction on your credit score. Next, there's a soft inquiry. A soft inquiry is just for information purposes only. That's when someone just runs your credit, they're not extending you credit as a result of the information they receive. They just want to run your credit just to get information to see what your credit profile looks like. Now, that does not have any impact on your credit score at all. And typical examples of soft inquiries would be you run your credit report yourself. You can run your credit report as many times as you want. Again, you get one copy free, but any other copy after that you have to pay for, and they typically range from anywhere from $7.95 per copy or $10 or up to $15 for what's considered to be a tri-merge credit report, which is a, a one credit report with all three credit bureaus merged into one single report. That's considered to be a tri-merge credit report. And that credit report can cost you anywhere from $15 or anywhere from $7 to $15, depending on where you get your credit report pulled. That, again, if it's information purposes only, has no impact on your credit score. So those are the five key areas. Again, number one is payment information, which is 35% of our payment history is 35%. Number two, 30% is amount you owe. Number three is length of, of payment or length of accounts open. Again, that's 15%. Number four, which is 10%, is types of credit or types of accounts. And number five is inquiries and new credit. So that constitutes your credit score, those five factors. Now, what's important to understand as you look at managing your credit effectively is understanding certain key rules or, in, or strategies you want to implement as it, go, as it relates to managing your credit effectively. 
And the first that I would like to recommend is paying your bills on time. That is key, and specifically as it relates to home buying. Most lenders want to see 12 payments or, I would say, one year worth of on-time payments on every account you have on your credit report. That's what they like to see. So if you're going to apply for auto, I mean, a mortgage loan, make sure that you've paid your, all your bills on time for at least 12 months. No late payments at all within the first 12 months. Next, you want to make sure that if you have a lot of credit, particularly as it relates to credit cards, which, again, are revolving, that you want to keep your balances low in relation to the credit limit. Now, credit cards have credit limits, which you have. For example, Visa will say, here's a new credit card. Your current limit, your credit limit is $1,000, which means that you have a maximum of $1,000 that you can actually go out and charge on that credit card. That is your credit limit. That credit limit is you can't exceed that. Now, in order to improve your credit or to effectively manage your credit, what you want to do is you want to keep your balance, which you currently owe or which you currently go out and charge, 30% or less of your credit limit. So, for example, using that $1,000 credit card, your balance should never exceed $300. Anytime you go over $500, which means 50% of your credit limit, you actually begin to hurt your credit score and you can bring your credit scores down. That's a very important rule as it relates to managing your credit, keeping your credit card balances to 30% of what the credit limit is. That actually would help improve your credit score or keep your credit score at a very high or credit score rating as it relates to um, revolving debt is concerned. Number three, you never want to close any accounts at all. If you're applying for a loan or you intend to buy a home or purchase a mortgage, then there are several myths out there. One of them is, is closing accounts. Closing accounts can hurt your credit score dramatically. And that, again, remember, 15% of your credit score is based on length of accounts or how long you've had those accounts open. So closing accounts can actually hurt your credit score. So you don't want to close any accounts at all prior to purchasing your home. Next, you want to reduce your number of, of inquiries. You don't want to go out and do a lot of um, shopping or having someone run your credit. So 12 months, again, prior to purchasing your home, you don't want to go out and apply for a new cell phone. You don't want to go purchase a new car. Or you don't want to do anything that requires someone running your credit or doing what's called a hard inquiry, and we talked about that earlier. Those things you don't want to do 12 months prior to buying your house because, again, inquiries can have a negative effect on your credit score. Now, keeping that in mind, those are the four tips or the best tips I could say or strategies for improving and managing your credit. Now, let's move into the next area. As we talked about before, as I said earlier, according to the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, which is acronym for short, they say that over 79% of all credit reports have some form of errors on those. 79%. That's a very high number. So the likelihood that your credit report will have an error of some sort is very high. Now, those errors that's on the credit report can actually cause your credit score to be to be lower and, as a result, have you denied for a mortgage loan. So, again, that's why I advocate having your credit report ran 12 months prior to you even beginning the home buying process. Now, once you obtain your credit report and you notice there's information on your credit report that is not accurate and that cannot be verified and that is outdated, then what the process is, is called disputing. You can dispute those items that you feel don't fit that criteria, and that's called a disputing process. The disputing process is one that allows you to write a letter or make a phone call or go online and make what's called a disputing inquiry to the credit bureaus based on their trade line information. So, again, keep in mind a trade line is any account that you've established, such as Macy's, such as Home Depot, such as your auto loan, 
any of those considered to be trade lines. And they also, from this point of the conversation, I would refer to them as creditors. Any creditor, you can dispute their information that is reported on your credit report by law. Again, you can dispute either in written format, which is the preferable format that I would recommend that you utilize, or you can go online and dispute each one of the credit bureau's websites, or you can actually call each one of the, the um, credit bureaus or creditors yourself and dispute those verbally. Now, the last two I don't recommend. There, there are options for you, but they're not the most effective options as far as getting your uh, dispute handled properly. The best method for disputing information on your credit report is in writing and actually writing a letter. That, of course, could be typed up on a computer, but you want to have a personalized letter that you type up to dispute information. And there's over 17 different items or areas you can dispute on your credit report to give you an idea. And some of the typical disputes are account is not mine or I'm not aware of this account or the, the balance on the account is not reporting correctly or I was never late on this account. The, the, the account has me listed or the credit report has listed that I was 30 days late. I disagree with that. So those, those are some of the things you can dispute as an example. The reason you want to dispute information again because if it's an inaccurate and if it's not verifiable and it's outdated it can have a significant impact on your credit score and can be uh, what's causing you to be denied the mortgage loan so that's a very important part of the credit process now when you contact the credit bureaus in writing you want to write a letter to say that this information is not mine and the disputing process works this way once you write a letter or you put any kind of dispute process in process in play the creditor will I mean the credit bureau will then contact the creditor and the creditor has thirty days to respond to that dispute. Thirty days. Now if they don't respond at all, they ignore the credit bureau who will then okay, here's the process. You write a letter to the credit bureaus, they contact the creditor and they say that Mr. Jones disputes the information on his credit report as not being accurate. The creditor has 30 days to respond back. If they do not respond back, then whatever information that you said was in dispute will either be deleted, repaired, or updated. Now, if the creditor does respond, then, of course, you have to move to the next step, which is called verifiable. How do they verify that information? So, again, it's really a um, two-step process initially, and the student process can actually be six stages that um, I, as a credit expert, go through with my clients to get information that is inaccurate, unverifiable, and outdated, removed, updated, or repaired off their credit report. So disputing information is important. Paying your bills on time is important, as well as keeping your revolving or credit card debt balances low on your credit report. All those are good, effective credit management strategies that you want to utilize and you want to employ, employ as it relates to preparing yourself to go out and purchase your home. Next thing you want to be considered or you want to take into consideration the results of credit is credit education. I recommend you want to go to the website www.ftc.org. Again, that is the Federal Trade Commission's website, and there you can obtain a lot of information concerning your rights as a consumer as it relates to how your credit is managed. There are several different credit laws that are out that are, that FTC and the government has put in place to protect you and to assist you with effectively managing your credit. And I would recommend that you want to become very familiar with those laws. Uh, the laws are the Federal Credit Reporting Act, which is considered to be the FCRA. That is basically saying that Every information on your credit report has to be, as I said before, accurate, verifiable, and outdated. I mean, and and dated, and not outdated. I'm sorry. You also have the Fair Credit Billing Act, which means that all the information that's report that's reported your credit report as it relates to the billing information has to be accurate and verifiable. And that's referring to if you have a 30 day late or a 60 day late, or they were, they're saying that you, as a result of your payment history or whether or not you're paying the minimum monthly payment correctly. All that information has to be correct, accurate, and verifiable, and the Federal Credit Billing Act is a law that protects that. You also have the Fair Credit Debt Collection Practices Act. 
And that is basically talking about how collection agencies uh, report information on your credit report. Again, just to take a side note, a collection agency gets involved when you have an account with a creditor, such as Macy's. We want to use Macy's as an example. If you open up a charge account with Macy's and you go out and you charge and charge up items on that charge with Macy's, say, for example, if Macy's gives you, a, a, again, a credit card with a $1,000 limit, and you go out and you charge $500 of items on that credit card. So now you owe Macy's $500. Macy's is going to send you a payment based on 2% of that balance, and that becomes your monthly payment. That typically is your minimum monthly payment. Now, if you don't pay that minimum monthly payment for approximately 90 days, you go through three three months and don't make a payment with Macy's, Macy's will as typically what's called suspend collection activity. That collection activity, then they will sell that debt to a third-party company called a collections company. That collection company buys that debt from Macy's and what's called a pool of debt. They don't buy your debt specifically, but they buy a pool of debts of all Macy's, what's called non-performing nets or assets or debts. Now, when a collection company purchases that debt from Macy's, they are required by law, according to the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, to send you a letter within 30 days of purchasing that debt from Macy's to let you know that they are now the new um, creditor that you owe, what is the amount that you owe, what is the payment method to make those payments, and how to contact them. That's called the Dunning letter. And if you don't receive that letter, then that's one of the things you can dispute. But by law, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act requires the collection agency to send you that information and have it over to you so that you can be aware of what you now owe and how much you owe and the method you can go about paying that debt back or paying that debt off. Now, there's also the HIPAA. HIPAA is H-I-P-P-A, and that is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and that relates to medical collections. And basically, HIPAA states that when you go out and you go to your doctor and you sign that authorization allowing your doctor to share your personal medical information with other doctors in case you have to go to see specialists or, people, or individuals like that. When you sign that release, then you also are saying you're allowing your doctor uh, share information with collection companies and credit bureaus based on your payment arrangements. Now, if you make that agreement, then they can share your payment information with, with credit bureaus. The HIPAA law states that how that information is shared or how that information is governed from that point forward. And so, again, you want to get familiar with FCRA, which is Fair Credit Report Reporting Act, FCBA, the Fair Credit Billing Act, FCDPA, Fair, Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, and, again, HIPAA, the Health Inf Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Those are the laws you want to become familiar with as you go forth with Manage your credit, understand how to manage your credit. And then I share this credit information segment with you because, as Ryan and I talked about earlier in the segment, credit is one of the most important areas in obtaining a mortgage loan or obtaining refinancing if you're a current homeowner. And so those are some of the important strategies and tips as it relates to credit. And King Street, going forward, would always have a 10-minute credit segment where we discuss credit in detail. We will discuss some of the methods and strategies for disputing information because that's uh, 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 a difficult strategy within itself, but it's an important process you need to understand. We will discuss ways to establish new credit, which is going out and establishing new credit, and one of the best ways to do that is go out and get secured credit cards. So keep that in mind as you go forth in your house hunting that you want to have Look at your credit report 12 months prior to purchasing a home. And keep in mind that it takes a minimum of six months to establish new credit. Those are some of the things that you want to think about when you come to your home purchase. And we wanted you to continue to use King Street as your source of definitive news as it relates to real estate in the D.C. metropolitan area. Anywhere from home buying to home owning. 
King Street is your source for news and information. And I would like to thank all the listeners for listening to King Street today. And I'd like to wish you all a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to King Street.